Welcome to Forever Blue Shirts Radio, powered by ForeverBlueShirts.com. warm but we've got a hanker in for a hockey ladies and gentlemen <laughs> welcome oh. to the program it is the forever blue shirts radio podcast good evening or afternoon or morning or wherever you are listening to this my name is john luke shaparo contributor to forever blue shirts radio and today we have our fellow crew the top line of 4b radio Kevin Krupe and Russell Hartman join me today, as always, on our 99th episode of this illustrious podcast. We'll go into a couple of things today, but first, let's just introduce the boys real quick. Russell, how are you doing today? I'm doing great. Every day that passes is another day closer to hockey, and I cannot complain about that one. Absolutely. You are so on the nose on that. And on the other end of the aisle, Mr. Squidward Tortellini himself, Kevin Krupe. Kevin, how are you today? Wait, so I'm on a line, then I'm on an aisle? I'm so confused. <laughs> also, I like to point out, it's it's not our 99th episode, it's Russell's 99th episode. Oh. If you recall, if you're avid listeners of the podcast, it was just Russell and someone else way before me and JL became you know, the regulars here. So, so basically, you, what you're saying almost 100 is, episodes. Congratulations! So you basically, Thank you. I mean, it's it's more of a. I feel congratulations for the site though too that we've hit a pretty pretty good milestone. And yes, we do have to give thanks to uh, Mr. Bossman Anthony Scultori for giving us. Oh, because we're powered. Yes, we're powered that's right. I forgot to mention that. I, but you I, did. I knew Kevin See? was going to bring it up. We are powered by <laughs> yeah, ForeverBlueShirts.com. Even though we you say you it, you have to wait for me to bring it up, JL. Even though you we, bring it up, we bring it up at the beginning, now, the middle, and at the end. <laughs> okay. So before we get into the festivities, and again, thank you boys for joining us. Let's cut to another insights from Mr. Anthony Scultore. Rangers Insights, roll the videotape. Well, it's not really videotape, but roll the audio tape. This is Rangers Insight with ForeverBlueShirts.com founder Anthony Scultore. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another edition of Rangers Insights. It is me, Anthony Scultori of ForeverBlueShirts.com, and I want to talk about several topics that I think will be of interest as we near Phase 3, which starts July 10th, and that is the official start of training camps. Well, there's some potential trouble for those players overseas. So basically, the concern is between the NHL and NHLPA about expiring visas, which uh, for the most part, the calendar year ends on June 30th for the league. That's when most players' visas will expire. So the NHL and NHLPA are negotiating uh, to find a way to get around this, but have told players overseas that it is essential that they return as soon as possible or give their clubs enough time to process a renewal application on their behalf. 
the current Rangers overseas that we are aware of, Mika Zibanejad, Henrik Lundqvist, Pavel Buchnevich, Kapo Kako, Jesper Fast, Alex Georgiev, Philip Hedl are on the roster and are integral uh, to potential additions overseas that could be added to the expanded roster are Leas Anderson and Vitaly Kravtsov. So there is some uh, trouble on the horizon. I'm sure the Rangers are going to work it out. But it has been uh, said if they can get here before June 30th, it would be in their best interest so they'd have no difficulty getting back into North America. Of course, the players aren't too thrilled with that because that would mean they'd be here for quite a while before the July 10th start of training camps. And if for some reason uh, they could not start phase three, uh, they would be stuck here in North America, not at home with their families over in Europe. This story can be found on foreverblueshirts.com. Another story we should talk about is on Monday at 5 p.m. was the deadline for the NHL writers to get their ballots in for the NHL awards. One award that we believe a Ranger should win is the Hart Memorial Trophy, which goes to the league's MVP. So, who... Should that be Artemi Panarin or Leon Dreisaitl? Panarin, of course, of the Rangers, Dreisaitl of the Edmonton Oilers. Here's the deal. Dreisaitl has already won the Art Ross, Art Ross Award, which is for scoring champion. This is about MVP. And sure, he did play and generated his own points without Connor McDavid for the most part, but he is on a team with Connor McDavid. Uh, injuries aside to McDavid this year, it does seem it does help when you don't have to fa- face the best checkers every night. Panarin, on the other hand, um, if not for his 95 points this year, I'm not so sure the Rangers are in a position to be even playing in the the, the playing round for that matter against the Carolina Hurricanes. So for me, if I had to p- pick between the two, I'd say Panarin. And not to mention, Nathan McKinnon also said he believes that Artemi Panarin should win the Hart Trophy. In other news around the league, the purge has happened in Buffalo. So, basically, you got to think of it as, all right, Jason Botterill, the GM, is gone. They also fired scouts and head of scouting, and they fired minor league coaching and... Wow, I'm talking about some major changes in Buffalo. And I got to go back to the May interview where Jack Eichel said he's frustrated and that he's been frustrated and he's been going on five years of frustration. You have to think the owners of the Sabres heard that loud and clear and decided we need to make our superstar happy. I know we've been talking on this particular podcast and on foreverblueshirts.com the possibility of Jack Eichel becoming available in a trade, well, let's just say this is the Sabres management and ownership getting in front and saying we're going to do whatever it takes to make you happy and build a winner. So that's it for Forever Blue Shirts, Rangers Insights this week. Uh, Please make sure to check us out on foreverblueshirts.com. And... I just started covering the NHL for a website called SportsNot. So that's SportsNot.com, S-P-O-R-T-S-N-A-U-T, 
sportsnot.com. You can find my NHL coverage there. And more news to come as we move along. I've got some things up my sleeve. We'll see how it goes. But anyway, thanks again for joining me this week for Rangers Insights. And let's go Rangers. All right. Thank you very much to Mr. Bossman Anthony Scultori for those uh, for that scoop, and we will definitely look forward to hearing more of what he has to say on the website foreverblueshirts.com. If you have a chance, check it out. We post some really awesome stuff. As this podcast is being released, we've uh, got a couple of good articles out, including some prospect articles, and alongside those, we have some stuff about '94. So, anyways, now we're moving on to the bread and butter here. So. A report came out from Sportsnet that basically involves where the Rangers will be playing in this 2014 playoff. So Chris Johnston of Sportsnet reported out a couple of days ago that the Las Vegas Review-Journal has put out a story saying that Vegas will be confirmed as a hub city for the Stanley Cup playoffs just around the time of June 22nd. So we're looking to try and see if we can find something there. Gary Bettman said that on May 26, he indicated that about three or four weeks will be the time frame for them to you know, release the names of the hub cities that will be finalized, and it seems as if Vegas will be one of those cities. And a tweet came out not too long ago that stated the Rangers will be one of those teams that will take their talents over to one of those desert cities and areas. So to begin our discussion, I will turn it over to Russell Hartman. So, Russell, the Rangers in the playoffs, Hub City, Vegas. Obviously, it's not New York. Give us your thoughts and insights on what do you think could happen, what's going to happen, and how it could affect the Rangers in this tournament. Well, I mean, it makes a lot of sense, Jail. And, uh, you know, thank you. It's good to hear from you, too. Thank you for uh, being here and doing this and being awesome, as always. Now, if you really think about it, these playoffs are the craziest we've ever had. And they're trying to make sure that there is no advantage for any team anywhere which is why it makes sense for the East to be playing in the West and the West teams to be playing in the East. They want no form of any type of home field advantage for any team here, and I think that's really cool. Um, as for Vegas being a hub city, I think it works, especially since, number one, it's far from New York City, which has been like the hub of all of this, uh, the hub of basically the coronavirus in the country, uh, most cases nationwide. And you're going somewhere in the desert where... Um, the conditions are probably better. Um, not as many people, obviously, which is a, a big goal of this whole thing. Um, and their numbers are nowhere near as high as they are over here on the East Coast. So as for Hub City, I mean, T-Mobile Arena is a fantastic arena. The Knights are constantly being praised as having one of the best overall presentations and uh, just overall arenas in the league. And to have all of the Eastern teams play there, um, I mean, there's more than enough accommodations because, remember, you have to fit all these teams, and uh, the general managers, the coaches, the staff, everybody. And Vegas has more than enough hotel space and more than enough uh, you know, housing to have these teams there and be a successful hub city. So as far as choosing a hub city goes, uh, the NHL has, again, hit, hit it out of the park with this first selection, if these reports are true, and they continue to lead the charge of sports in a post-coronavirus world. And now... We just wait to see what city will be picked for the Western Conference in the East. 
So don't you think, though, that it's a little strange that Vegas, a team that is going to be in the playoffs, is not going to be able to play in Vegas? Or maybe they'll just be the only team or one of the very few teams that would actually have a home ice advantage, quote-unquote, so to speak. Mm-hmm. Wouldn't that be a little strange to just kind of say, hey, Vegas, you're going over to Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. For sure. Go, go, enjoy, yeah. the, go enjoy the Mr. Rogers exhibit, you know. <laughs> yeah, for sure. And I mean, it, it's weird. It's weird how, you know, how home and away games, I guess, are going to work now. But in terms of how the league is actually trying to do this to ensure that no team feels quite at home, um, you know, you're in the playoffs. You're you have to be ready for anything. And this is just going with the fact that they're getting we're getting an unorthodox training camp. We're getting kind of an unorthodox, you know, playoff of course and now we're getting an orthodox uh place setup and all of this will factor into again what i think is going to be one of the coolest playoffs ever and yes vegas might not get to play at their home but i think it'll be really cool to see all the east teams play out west and all the west teams play here on the east <laughs> well it's funny that you mentioned that because it's kind of it, it's definitely exciting to see and uh kevin definitely has some ideas on the excitement or just thoughts about that in general kevin give us your thoughts about what do you think of uh the rangers potentially playing in vegas and what it could mean for not only just the rangers but also for the other teams as well do you see a difference of opinion in terms of what russell said or do you see something along the lines of what he said so to start out the rangers unless you're playing in like detroit or chicago or boston like an original six place or even canada the Rangers fans travel extremely well, no matter what. You can see them in Carolina, you can see them in Florida. When Vegas was first starting, you had a lot of Rangers fans there because a lot of people retire and go different places. So I think the home, if if they allow fans in at all, that is, they might not even allow anybody. So the hub city might not even matter. So I think it would be good for the Rangers to kind of get away. You know, like like you said, Russ, that everybody is just, you know. You don't want to have anybody too comfortable. Because like, if you're in your city, if like, let's say the hub city was Pittsburgh, the guys who live in Pittsburgh for the Penguins, they could be like, oh, I know where to eat. I'm with my family. This, like, Obviously, it's terrible that everybody has to be away from their families, but it just seems more fair that everybody is. So that being said, I, I'm not a big fan of Vegas for a few reasons. Only because it's just they opened up recently and they could potentially have um, you know, a lot of new cases coming out. Uh, but the good thing about it is that there are a lot of hotels that probably won't be occupied because a lot of people are still probably taking not, not taking the risk of going there. And I think it'll be good for the, the teams itself because they probably will most likely share some hotels. It's not going to be like you have, you know, um, complete and total isolation. Teams. Yeah, you don't have 12 teams and 12 different, you know, One's in the MGA, M Grand, and the other one is, you know, in some Motel 6 outside of <laughs> Las Vegas. So, you know, I think, you know, it would be a good bonding experience. I think this would be very interesting. I feel like everybody's play style and everybody's level of competitiveness will be at the exact same, you know, kind of spectrum. And it would be very good to see. I just don't think Vegas was the best choice because they opened up, because people are going to the casinos, because there'll be other people like outside of the residence of las vegas so you know we'll see what happens i just think that vegas was an interesting choice i do like the idea of swapping east and west it just kind of sucks for play times 
That's we don't true. know what the playtimes are going to be. We don't know if it's going to be, you know, six games in a day or it's going to be hope, like I hope two or is. three games a day or something. It would be cool if it's six games a day. It kind of suck, though, because it won't start until noon here. Well, they maybe. usually do that with international tournaments, though. They usually do that yeah. with international yeah. tournaments where they'll they'll have them they'll have days where it's like maybe every other day within the span mm-hmm. of a couple of days to where you'll have just games go back to back to back so they might implement some kind of system when it comes to scheduling the games in that sense you know i mean you look at some of the tournaments like the world juniors tournament like in buffalo or in ottawa or whatever they'll have games in consecutive days granted some of them are in different arenas but vegas also does have an alternate arena if I'm correct, I don't know if it's built or not. I have to do my research on that. It should have been built by now because the Henderson Silver Knights are starting hockey next year. So even though it's not an NHL-ready arena, worst-case scenario, if the arena is ready for use, they could potentially use that as um, a place for extra games. Now, to, t- to go a little further on that, let's just say, for example, the COVID regulations end up, you know, getting a little bit easier and you know a lot of states are coming out nowadays and they're basically allowing sporting events or sporting venues to have at least 50 percent capacity so and this is in places like texas and places out west primarily so if the nhl is in the middle of this playoff tournament do you see the the league potentially uh allowing some fans in the area to go in and maybe watch the games so maybe that there is some sort of fan experience because i feel that the fan experience when it comes to playoffs is important what do you guys think of that well there's there's a right way to do this and a wrong way to do this the right way would be like limiting the amount of people coming in obviously but at the same time you do have to think about the safety of your players. You do have the you have the glass screens, but you know everybody wants a high five when they go in and out of the tunnel. You know you're gonna have those fans like yelling like oh you know screw you this and that, <laughs> and it could be a potential hazard for the for the players. So I don't think I think the, I'm sure the NHL is mulling this over. I'm sure when oh, this actually to. starts mid July, which it seems like it's going to be towards the end of July, this might. It might be different. It might be different in Las Vegas. We don't know what the situation is, you know, the day-to-day life. We don't know if heat actually affects this virus or not. Or, You know, we really don't know. We don't know if there's a resurgence coming. Apparently there is. So we might not even have an NHL season. Remember, this is all, you know, they're taking it step by step. They're in phases because if something trips up, if the everything starts spiking again, we're not having an NHL season. Yeah. So I'm sure they want to not have a risk if it means not having fans. Because well, that's what their plan the was dark. going into this. No one having fans. Mm-hmm. That's yeah. the whole point. Yeah. No one's having fans. You're having these hub cities. No one's allowed in. And it's going to be like watching like an expedition game on like a Saturday while you're waiting for your ice time. <laughs> that's what it is. It's just like, okay, well, he's, he's looking good. And you just hear guys screaming, which, would, which would, I think would be interesting because normally you can't really hear that that well. Unless the guy's screaming at the top of his lungs. You yeah. might be able to hear them communicate better like you would hear if you're watching a practice. Or if you know you're you're you know, you're closer to the ice, you actually get to hear it. Now this might be an interesting experience. I mean, you know, you might have to worry about, you know, hitting that bleep button really quickly <laughs> while, you know, while you, you know you have to see. But that's why we have a six second delay. Ha ha uh, uh, yes. like they ever like they ever bleep us. Thanks a lot, Justin Timberlake. Um, I think something to imp- something important here to point out is 
Um, the Henderson Silver Knights will be playing out of the Orleans Arena Orleans in Arena. Paradise, Nevada. It's already yeah. been built. So. Yeah, while their their new arena is getting built on the site of the Henderson Pavilion in Henderson, Nevada, um, which will be called the Lifeguard Arena, but it is not done yet. So while that finishes up, they'll be playing out of the Orleans Arena. Which is a block Paradise away Center. from, it's like only 10 minutes from the uh, T-Mobile Center. Right, so I, I think... I, I actually there, looked it up. <laughs> there is something to what you're saying, JL. If they really did want to use another rink and not just use T-Mobile Arena, how you could have two... Two fully, you know, working NHL rinks, and since there's no fans, you don't have to worry about any of the seating. Yeah. So you could have, um, you know, if the plan is to maybe do four or five games a day in each arena, you could have ten games a day in Vegas, which would speed things up exponentially well, if they really wanted to go six that route. Games a day. Right, and you know, twelve <laughs> teams. Dude. But the point is, if they wanted to move at a quicker pace, they can. The option I understand. Is- no, no, I, I completely. Yes. But I don't think it's going to get to the point where teams are playing two games a day. No, you can't double head. Yeah, no, no, that's too much. Up, yeah. no, that's too much. Like with with, ba- with you can double head baseball, and that that's it. You can't really well, you can't, do anything. Can't else double head you football. Can throw in a whole new roster for baseball. Yeah. You can't really come up with you know four new lines by you know by lunch. Yeah, <laughs> it's like oh, we gotta call up the farm team. Why not get the get the black aces coming in, get them nice and warmed and lubed up and ready to go. <laughs> you know, so Release yeah, since time to shine. Well, no, you're not kidding, and uh, that's something that we've covered yeah. in you know extensively, right. and hopefully we'll be able to see him, uh, hope him and Vitali Kratsov too, which is something definitely yeah. interesting to uh, take a look at. So moving on, so now that the NHL season is basically concluded for the most part and you know the 2014 playoff is a luxury only 24 teams can afford uh we now go on to awards and this is this amongst ranger fans seems to be a a very contentious topic because of how we feel about our own artemi panarin so each of us have basically decided to look at some of the awards and give our take on who we think should win these certain awards. So let's start with Kevin because he seems like he's always chomping at the bit to say things. <laughs> you know, always. With, you know, I'm ready to go. Squidward Tortellini over here. So Kevin, thank you. Give us uh, a little bit of a breakdown on who you chose for certain awards and just why exactly you picked these guys for said awards. Well, I think we should go award by award. I think that seems more. Reasonable. Well, that's what I was I hinting wanna... to, Kevin. I wasn't no, no, going to have it any other way. Award. I'm not going to go every award. <laughs> Let's start with the heart because I know we have a lot of things to talk about with this. We can just kind of graze over everything else. Well, I think we no all agree on who's gonna, who, who we want to get the heart. Oh, we, I, I, we want I think we, versus we, we who might, is going to be. We might be in agreement. We might be it's, in agreement on who uh, It's who Artemi Pedro. Oh, Owen Nolan. I'll tell you what. Oh, Yes, JL, that's who I want. No, it's Artemi Panarin of for course. multiple reasons. It's not just because we're Rangers fans. I mean, obviously, that does play some sort of bias to this. But the Hart Trophy is the a player's most... It's like, you put him on any team, he will be the MVP of that team. That's the whole point. It's not about... It's, sometimes it's not always about most points, but that's what it seemed like it's become. It's like, oh, you know, David Posternak scored 101 points, but, you know, Alex Ovechkin only scored 100 points. We're going to give it to Posternak, even though... Ovechkin had a better plus minus. Who cares? But in this case, Artemi Panarin came to the Rangers and he was the single most X factor in making this a better team. And and I'll explain why. And it's not just because of points. And, and it's not just because of 
his five on five is better than Dry Sidles or McDavid's or McKinnon or whoever. It's the fact that he came and Mika Zibanejad was able to become a star and had the most goals per game on average. Slightly more than Alex Ovechkin, the guy who won the Rocket Richard Richard. this year. So the fact is, if Mika Zibanejad wasn't out injured for a good chunk of the year, he might have won the Rocket Richard because teams are going to play Artemi Panarin more. They're going to give him the better defensive matchups and leave Mika Zibanejad with the second string of defenders or maybe even the third string. So you have to look at it this way. Artemi Panarin is the, I don't want to say, he's not the scapegoat, scapegoat, but he's the distraction. He's going to come out here, he's going to dangle, he's going to score. But Mika Zibanejad is going to come in like a freight train and score five goals on one of the best teams in the league. So Boy, remember hockey? Remember (laughs) hockey? Yeah. So he made the team better. He was better on the power play. You could see that he's great defensively, too. It's not just his offensive skills that people are pining after. He's great with the stick. He gets on his own zone. He's always hustling, and he's a great example. And he's become that superstar New York has needed that we thought we were going to have in Gabrick and that we thought we were going to have in Nash to bring us and hoist us a cup, which, you know, Artemi's going to be here for a long time, so we don't know. The reason I don't like Pasternak, not Pasternak, excuse me, Dreisaitl um, getting the the heart trope is because everybody's clamoring. It's like, oh, he beat the 100-point mark. Who cares if he beat the 100-point mark? He's playing with McDavid. And you could say, oh, he's not playing on the same line, da 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 but he plays on the power play with him. And most of his points are on the power play. Just just throwing it out there. It's not the power play award. So it's the league's most valuable player. Is basically Panarin deserves it because he doesn't play with McDavid and most of his points could come <laughs> from even strength. Is what no, you're saying. He does have the most even strength points in the league. So there there's that. I mean that he scores better on even strength. At a higher rate than everybody else, which is you know that that's so that's so strange, but also surprisingly good at the same time. It's like you're weirdly conflicted about it because you know it's a good stat, but then you think like maybe he should have more power play points. But I don't know. I'm, I'm just well, I'm no, just but not out even that. It's, just, now. <laughs> it, it's it's situational. Obviously, it's points percentages, but I mean, at the same course. time, it's like. It's harder to score five on five. We can all agree on that. There's yes. another guy there. It's harder to score, which means if someone's scoring at a better rate than you are, that means they're technically better at five on five. Correct. Technically speaking, and yes. we're all just going through stats. Logic. We, we all know Drysaddle is a superstar, just like Connor McDavid, just like Artemi Panarin. They're all superstars. It's just who's the best? Who did more for the team? And. You know, we might not have this conversation if the Rangers didn't make the playoffs. People wouldn't be making this case if the Rangers didn't, quote-unquote, make the playoffs. But even if they didn't, it shouldn't be based off of they made the playoffs. It's the fact that they came from getting the second overall pick last year to being in contention this year. That's a huge step. Well, I think that's my point. Well, I think that's my take. Well, I think that was the main argument within what... um, with what people were going for when it came to Dreisaitl and when it came to Panarin, because originally at the beginning of the year, no one thought the Rangers were going to make the playoffs. And then yep. come December, January, you know, both Panarin and even Zibanejad were basically lighting it up, regardless of whatever position the Rangers were in, you know, and, and when you play with, it's, it's a similar effect to, 
basically playing with like Lemieux or Goretzky. Not to say that any of these guys are inherently bad, but when you play with certain players like that, it kind of elevates them a little more to where their numbers could be a little bit more inflated. And I know I feel like we're shutting out Russell. We're not shutting you out, Russell. I just wanted to get my point no, across. Um, oh, I'm, I'm listening. I'm enjoying um, the conversation. But um, but you know when you look at it, it's 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 different with Sabanajad and Panarin. And again, I'm not taking anything away from them. It's just that originally, obviously, we all knew they were good. Like we all knew Sabanajad was good. It's just between us and the general consensus you think well gosh you know they think that there's nothing to them but you see them when they begin to play and you see them begin to blossom and it's like well gosh this is cool you know they are good at the hockey so i think it it gets let's do that let's do that hockey you know and and they get elevated a little more because they're both good players, but they're also not at the level of McDavid, so they have to work for it a little more. Obviously, Panarin has otherworldly talent, obviously. That's what he's here for. So I think that makes a strong case, and I definitely agree. And Russell, I know for a fact, Russell Hartman from Brooklyn, New York, agrees. <laughs> and also, by the way, before I move on, this is how you know this podcast is recorded in New York and New Jersey because you can hear the sirens of fire trucks and police cars on the, always, on the always. outside. So you can't escape it. So Russell, um, obviously, jackass driving ninety. Okay, right well, Kevin, we're house. not going to get into your personal escapades when coming home from it's work. Personal, okay. it's uh, New York. Uh, 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 but obviously, Russell, you agree with us. Give us your take on who you think should win the. Oh trophy. yeah, it, it needs to be Artemi Panarin for all the points you guys made. I'm where I'm not going to stay on the Hart Trophy much longer, but. Um, it's ridiculous when I hear like David Pasternak should win. It's just it's ridiculous to hear these names. Like I'm sorry, like Artemi Panarin plays with Ryan Strom and Jesper Faust. Uh, David Pasternak plays with Brad Marchand and Patrice Bergeron. Uh, there's your argument right there. I'm sorry, David Pasternak is an amazing player. He's a great goal scorer. He will share the Rocket Richard Trophy with Alexander Ovechkin this year. But I'm sorry, I'm gonna go with the guy who put up the most even strength points. The guy who essentially turned a non-playoff team into a, into uh, uh, into a playoff contender and the guy who plays with a second line center and a fourth liner for most of his even strength and just makes them both look incredible. So yeah, so Tommy Panarin should be the hard trophy winner. End of story. Okay. Well, well said. I mean, basically everyone, we're all in agreement here on that. Yeah. So next award is the, we are going with the, Let's go with the Norris Trophy. Let's Ooh, okay. let's go to the Norris Trophy. Curveball. So right. yes, aha, baseball reference. Let's go Mets. <laughs> See every episode, oh, I have to do it. You you forced that. <laughs> Staying curveball is a, a pretty normal term, but it's also you a threw it in term. there. I did forced I, I, it. I threw the curveball in there and it swung and missed. Okay. No, no, you <laughs> made you know me what? like. <laughs> All right. You got it in there. Though. You got it in there. Whatever. No, no, no. Whatever. Just okay, bold. so Norris Trophy. I'll go on yes. this one since Kevin started last time. Personally, I think John Carlson should get it. Now, obviously, you guys might disagree with me, of course. I, I, I'm actually kind of in agreement with you there. But you have to understand the type of player John Carlson is, right? Um his his cup performance and the performance that he put up last season and this season i mean yeah granted the capitals are just a force but even it's just the the way he started the season 
with just putting up that absurd amount of points, you can't really discount that. And yes, he did slow down. Yes, you know, obviously all defensemen will slow down at a point. But when you're putting up points at that rate or at that clip, I mean, it's no fluke considering the team that you're playing for. And albeit he is on a line with Ovechkin and he's on the power play, this and that and the fourth, yada, yada, yada. You 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 just he has this presence about him that just kind of elevates him to obviously the best defenseman in the league and obviously not biased here because you know john carlson did grow up 30 minutes from where i live and there's a jersey connection there but um (laughs) you know i i think i think carlson gets it i he's just been a force and I, i can't really see any other defenseman getting that award maybe you can make the case for your roman yossi but truth and truth be told, to me, I think Carlson should get the Norris. He's been easy, the best defenseman. It's a difference between being good with good players and actually being like a shutdown elite defenseman. And it, it it's just, I mean, think about it. He he's basically leading all defensemen in in, in assistant points. I mean, seventy five points in sixty nine games. That's not. That's not a fluke at all. So that that's basically all I have to say. I'm stammering, but I'm just so, <laughs> you know, just shocked that anyone else would have any other opinion. But uh, well, I so, can't believe you gave away Russell's choice like that. It was supposed to be a surprise. <laughs> wow. Was it? I didn't, I didn't know. I do. I will say I do agree with JL that John Carlson does deserve the Norris Trophy. But before the injury this year... I really thought that Dougie Hamilton was finally going to live up oh. to that immense potential that he was showing for so many years. Well, and he was living he, up to it. He was. And before he was he got living hurt, up to it. He was really, like, Dougie Hamilton was showing why he was, you know, why he was so coveted by, you know, so by the Bruins a while ago. Of course, they traded him to Calgary, and since Calgary's on Carolina, but... Uh, pre-injury, I would have given this to Dougie Hamilton. I think he was just, oh my god, he was he was unbelievable. But I do agree with Jell. I think John Carlson does deserve the Norris Trophy. Um, I think the Norris Trophy is one of those awards that um, is a, a deserving award, and I, I will say that because um, Victor Hedman got the Norris, I believe, last year, I want to say. Um, and... The Norris is one of those trophies that even when you talk to people that vote for this award, like the NHL writers, um, if a defenseman has been really good for a long time and they've had an amazing year, maybe not the best year, they'll typically get the Norris uh, over a guy who's kind of like the young upstart who had a really, really good year himself. Um, Debate that how you will, if that's how this award should be given out. But either way, John Carlson has been good for a long time. He just signed a huge deal after the Capitals won the Stanley Cup. And, you know, it's only been two seasons since then. And normally when guys sign that big deal, they get a little relaxed and they get a little lax in their play. In his case. But John Carlson has done the complete opposite and has put up some of the most monster points a defenseman can. He's got a plus 12. He's rocking 75 points in 69 games. And he's done a pretty good job staying out of the penalty box with only 26 penalty minutes. So... I mean, when you round it all up like that, there is no other choice for the Norris Trophy this year. By the way, uh, the 2019 Norris Trophy winner was Mark Giordano. 
So Mark, Mark, Mark no, Giordano that's right. won it last year. So Russell and I agree. Kevin, is your opinion a dissenting one towards us? Well, I do. I I'll say this. I do agree that John Carlson will get the award just because he put up a lot of points. And some people say, you know, the best defense is a very good offense. He does, you know, alter his plus minus just by that alone. That's a good. And point. yeah, he has played up to his contract, which is fantastic. I'm a little surprised that Russell didn't say Roman Yossi, but I can understand why he didn't. He's not on the best team at the moment. The Predators have taken a huge decline from what they used to be um, in the past few years. And Yossi just, he played the way he should have played. He played as that great defenseman, that great leader that the Preds have there. And it's just, it's unfortunate that, you know, voters sway in the way of, the big teams. It's like, who's getting to the playoffs? So that means they got the best defenseman. It doesn't mean anything. The rookie of the year could be on the worst team and still get rookie of the year just because they had the most points or whatever you want to consider it as. But that, that's what it is. The Norris Trophy, and I'm sure that almost every hockey fan can agree, is about whose defenseman had the most points or at least close to it. Now, that's not that's not shining light on guys who actually play good defense. Guys who block shots, guys who kill penalty penalties, guys who have fantastic plus minuses, but not might not always give the plus, you know, the the points. Like the guys who, you know, you always have out, you always want out in the the third period or in an overtime in in the playoffs. It's just yes, I understand that you know you have to be a good defense to get the Norris Trophy. You're not just gonna be a you know a Tony D'Angelo scoring five goals in a night or you know getting a hat trick right out of the box. So. I, I, I would like to see, eventually, being two separate awards, a Norris Trophy for the best offensive defenseman and some other trophy being the best defensive defenseman because there are multiple categories. But my pick is John Carlson. He lit it up this year, even if he did slow down. He was a force, like JL said, and he lived up to expectations like Russell said. So there's no there's no argument here. That's a really good that's a really good point actually. You set the separation of uh, actually, separation of trophies. I, I mean, I, I would hope I make good points normally. You wouldn't <laughs> be surprised by it. Well, I'm not trying to discredit you. I just have never heard anyone mention that before, which actually is pretty a pretty novel idea. You know, the best offensive defenseman or the best defensive defenseman. I guess, but I guess though, maybe in that sense, that would get kind of convoluted. In, a, in some ways, if you think about it. So maybe they just want to limit it to just one to make it easier. But I do understand what you're saying, though. I so. mean, you have the most, you have the, you have an award for the most respectable player. I'm sure you can make two defensive player That's awards. That's true. But again, tradition. Okay, yeah. so. <laughs> All right, so to lead us into to the next award, Russell. Jesus. Russell, introduce yes. our next award. Okay. Um,. I think the next one we should discuss is the Calder Trophy. Ooh, this is and this is probably the most heated discussion among people on Twitter, the writers, and it's razor thin. But I give my Calder Trophy nod this year to Quinn Hughes of the Vancouver Canucks. Ooh, I know. I did not give it to Cal McCarr, but I have my reasons why I am not giving it to Cal McCarr. Quinn Hughes played more minutes per game. Um, he was better at even strength. He was better at um, getting teams to have less shot attempts at even strength. Um, and he played with arguably a less talented crop of forwards than Kel McCarr did. Now, Kel McCarr had uh, 50 points in 57 games. 
Quinn Hughes had 53 and 68. So points per game obviously goes to Cal McCarr. But Quinn Hughes not only was playing more minutes, um, not only was playing with, uh, I, I, you know, I don't really want to say lesser talent because Elias Pettersson, JT Miller, and Bo Horvat are still very solid players. But when you compare them to Nathan McKinnon, Gabriel Landeskog, and Miko Rontanen as a trio, there's a definite talent gap there. Also, the Colorado Avalanche are considered by many to be right either on the cusp or in their window of Stanley Cup contention um, at the moment. While the Vancouver Canucks are still rebuilding, although their rebuild is kind of training like hours ahead of schedule due to some of the talent they have on that blue line and up front. Um, I think that, uh, you know, Hughes came in here and yes, he did play a bit at the end of last year, but we really got to see him take off this year. Um, he... <clears throat> He had more points on the power play as well. He had, uh, but of course, if you do it points per game wise, again, it all kind of evens out. Um, Kel McCarr actually had more even strength points than uh, Quinn Hughes had. So, like I've been saying, razor thin. But due to the um, due to the talent that uh, Hughes plays with, due to the more minutes that he's played, and due to him being better at even strength and overall having more power play points. Um, I got to give it to Quinn Hughes of the Vancouver Canucks. I think he's earned it. And I think if you really look at what he's done this year on a lesser team, that he he really does deserve the honors of Rookie of the Year. Kevin, who do you think should JL. win? <laughs> that is my Ooh. name. Who do you think should win the... Uh, who do you think we should... Gosh. Who do you think I, should I know win what you're asking. The, the, uh, the Calder Trophy? Who, who do you think it should go to? Because it's, 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 it seems as if there's just a consensus between two people. So It's it's not Dominic Kubelik. Yes, thank you. <laughs> it's definitely not him. As no, it is I don't not care him. who says, he had a great January and February. No, stop. It's, it's, he didn't. But um, it's Cal McCarr or Quinn Hughes. It's one of those two. And like Russell said, it's razor thin, but it's going to come down to the what-if factor. As, as terrible as that... As it sounds, that's what it's going to be. Like Russell said, Cal McCarr had better points per game. He had a better plus-minus as a defenseman. They're both, they're both, you know, defensemen. So who played better defense? That's what it is. It is, yes, the rookie of the year, and I will make the same case. It's not always about points. It's about how you contribute to your team. But, you know... That points also what, helps, too. It, yeah, it does, obviously. It's not, I'm not going to give it to the guy who got 30 points versus the guy who gave it to, got 60 points, you know. It's just, I think um, it's going to be, ra- it, it's just going to be very close. It's hard to tell at this moment. I think some voters' minds are going to be made up to the point where it's like, ooh, who got further in the playoffs? But it's, um, I think it's going to be Cal McCarr. I just think he looked better. I think he had a little more flair to his game. People were talking about him more, which, you know, sometimes that plays a factor. So, you know, bottom line, Quinn Hughes had a fantastic first year. Cal McCarr had a fantastic first year, technically second years. But I think, uh, I don't know, he just he just seemed more dynamic. He had more game-winning goals. He, you know, included 19 points on the power play. And he just had, a, you know, plus 20 more than Quinn Hughes did. Which, you know, as ba- you know, like I said, as bad as it sounds, it's just better looking to some people well you guys basically 
said most of what I was going to say when it comes to statistics on both those players. But I mean, um, you can just say who you want and then just go to the next one. Well, that's what I'm going to do, Kevin. Thank you for opening the veil before I got to it. <laughs> well, you know, it's not uh, it's not too uh, hidden. Well, I I personally think the award should go to Kale McCarr. Um, as much as as much as I think Quinn Hughes. As he's had a phenomenal season. We're not taking that away from him. We all know that he's going to be an elite player in this league for years to come. But so, you know, Kel McCarr will too. I mean, he did get injured, and that definitely did hamper a lot of um, a lot of uh, his, uh, his progress. I mean, he was injured for about 15 games. But if he had kept playing, you know, it, it, it's funny if you looked at the way the season went. It was like right off the bat, Kel McCarr burning it up, just – starting out hot just like he did in the playoffs last year he gets hurt hasn't really been the same but he still wasn't also the worst either and obviously from then on Quinn Hughes came and took you know the mantle so would it, it, it more than likely it might be Quinn Hughes but ultimately it should be Kale McCarr but again both are solid defensemen and they're going to be you know good players in this league for years to come okay so I guess we have two more awards to go through Kevin Go through us. Go through with us the next award that we will go through. Let's do the Vesna next, and Ooh. I think I think Ooh. Russ might be in agreement with me because we did discuss this prior. Now I'll I'll prelude this with who I think is going to win, then I'm going to say who should win. Unfortunately, I think it's going to be Tuukka Rask. Bruins had the most wins. I mean, obviously it wasn't just him who did who got in there, but you know. I think it's just going to go to him just because that's how voting usually goes for the Vesna. You have to have the most wins, period, and then everything kind of falls, falls at the wayside. In there, yeah. Connor Heliabuk, I think, had the best season as a goalie because his team was in shambles to start the year. He had lost his number one defenseman. He lost Jacob Truba. You had a lot of younger guys. You don't know what the deal with Patrick Lyon is. You know, a lot of your guys are question marks you have a few injuries to worry about and he almost played 60 games as a starting goalie he is the true 1a goalie just not even 1a number one goalie in winnipeg there's no backup there's no second string there's no splitting the time he came in you know played 58 games started 56 of them 131 and you know he he lost only he only you know he brought them to five losses in overtime but i think you know, his save percentage was significantly high for playing that many games. 9.22, obviously not the best. You know, Tukaresk technically had a slightly higher one, but Tukaresk also played 17 games less than Connor Hellyabuck. In a in a NHL where we're seeing the goalie split, or at least one goalie plays two-thirds, the next goalie plays one-thirds of the season, Connor Hellyabuck took the stride and he went with Winnipeg and kind of just got everybody together and, you know, led them on this great run. And, you know, obviously they're not the best team, but they are in the playoff race. They have a chance to make it significantly far, and you don't know what's going to happen. We might have a, you know, a Jordan Binnington situation where Hellybuck just goes lights out and that, that could be the deciding factor for them. It's just, I think no, that's true. Connor, Connor was the, the man. He, he, he showed that this is it. I, I got to be the, the strong force. And obviously his stats are skewed because he has a larger sample size. It's just that's what should be taken into consideration for this. Well, I will agree with you on Connor Hellebuck 
uh, winning the Vezina. As much as I think Tukarask had a solid season, you also have to factor in that the Bruins basically have two starters in Yaroslav Halak and obviously Tukarask. You know, no no dish to Laurent Brassois, but I mean, Laurent Brassois is not Yaroslav Halak. You know, it's basically like Henrik Lundqvist and Chad Johnson. You know, or hey, Henry, hey, 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 he, you he, leave Chad Johnson alone, JL. <laughs> he was a good Chad goalie. Johnson I like Chad Johnson. <laughs> I like Chad Johnson. I really do. But I'm just saying, you know, Halak is is a starter on most teams. Some people yeah, disagree yeah, yeah. with me, but yeah. Halak is a starter on most teams, and that kind of takes away a little bit from, you know. It, from from two, from two guns, guns. <laughs> right? Makes makes a pad save from Boston halfway fans. across the ice. Well, Boston fans do the same thing that they uh, they the Boston fans do the same thing Devils fans did when Keith Kincaid would make a save. Every time Keith Kincaid made like a blocker save, you kept hearing Kincaid. It's like every goalie makes that save. Like I'm I'm yeah. sorry to sidetrack really quick, but did you see some people say that? Um, Blackwood is like a dark horse for the yeah, Calder. Yeah, I saw that. Oh, That's like, ridiculous. No, it's so no. there's no it's so reason ridiculous. for this to be. No. Like he was good. It's not like he was, you know, terrible. But it's just. I mean, to be fair, but remember. I mean, to be fair, remember, there's people out there that think Blackwood is better than Igor Shosturkin. Oh, so okay, we, we don't. No. We don't listen. Oh, no, 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 we're not getting people into that. Devils fans. <laughs> no, Literally, every other fan that. does not think this. No, but yeah. I, I. But anyway, back on track. You know, to be fair, Blackwood did have a solid season when the team was a literal tire. Well, not a literal tire fire, but they were just a tire fire in front of him the whole season. So I could understand why that would be up for consideration. It's like, hey, this guy was respectable on a, you know, on a ship that was sinking. But uh, back to the topic at hand, of course, is obviously we're debating between, you know, Tukarask and Connor Hellebuck. I think Connor Hellebuck takes the cake. You know, Kevin basically ran it down. You know, he's played 17 uh, less games and and you know he's just it seems like he carried that Winnipeg team when they were in dire straits when it came to their defense and it's very Henrik Lundqvist like and I like Henrik Lundqvist so I'm gonna go with that Russell I'm gonna make <laughs> this comparison to one of my favorite players one of my favorite players there's not there's really nothing else I can say about this Connor Hellebuck was the best goaltender in the NHL this year the guy has even been talked about as getting some Hart Trophy nominations this year and the last goaltender to win the Hart Trophy is boys do you either of you no. Jose Theodore. So close. Oh. Kevin, do you know? If JL doesn't know, do you really think that I know? Wait, wait, wait. What team did he play for? Tell me. Montreal. Don't, it's not Carey Price, is it? Yeah, it, it, it 100% is. Oh. Carey really? Price is the Gosh. last goaltender to win the Hart Trophy was Carey Price. Um, I, I am blanking on the year. I'm totally it sorry. It must have but... been... So long ago, because Carey Price is not who he used to be. Well, no, he's not. Right, but uh, oh, it was the 2014-2015 season. Carey Price won the Hart Trophy because he, he had a ridiculous 9.33 save percentage and a 1.96 GAA. He also won the Vezina <laughs> well, I mean, and the Ted Lindsay Award that year too. So yeah, he mean, cleaned up. The, he oh, cleaned but up. No Stanley Cup. Uh oh. Yeah. Ooh, tough uh, break there, Carey. All right, so yeah, it's Connor Hall. I mean, we shouldn't be talking. We haven't got a Stanley Cup before. So anyway, so we basically agree Connor Hellebuck is is the uh, the. Uh, I like to point best. out we didn't plan this that we're all agreeing. No, we, we did not. No, we did. The only person I knew that Russell was choosing was 
hell yeah buck and i thought he was going to choose roman yossi for his norris and yeah, hey we, but he, we he, he took we like a 90 degree turn back to- <laughs> we disagreed on the calder trophy we disagreed on the that's calder true. Trophy. a little bit but i got yeah, <laughs> well, it's not like that was it we're torching each other over it but anyways so so those are our choices for awards for this season obviously we uh we seem to share some opinions and we seem to also not share the same opinions but that's life and we have to deal with it all right so to round out this show now if you've been living under a rock or have somehow landed in rock bottom and bikini bottom Artemi Panarin has basically been the linchpin for this team and potentially for the franchise. Uh, His signing signaled a new wave of Rangers hockey, and it seems as if everyone seems to have gravitated around his energy, his play style, and it has elevated the Rangers to a different level. So I'm going to start off with Russell here because he seems to be very passionate about just um, Panarin in general and the fact that we did hang out in front of Madison Square Garden on July 1st is also telling. <laughs> so, Russell, <laughs> That's true, tell true. me tell me why Panarin is more important than we think to this New York Rangers franchise. Well, I mean, you need to look at it as someone who just won't be denied. And it's very interesting to have a player like that on your team when the last time I can even remember a, pl- a player coming anywhere close to this in their first season with the Rangers was Marion Gabrick's first season when he had 86 points. Is that 42 now, goals too, I think? Yes, yeah, 42 goals as well. Great great first year. I mean, Gabrick was, I mean, he was an amazing player, had a great, you know, he had two good seasons in New York, two okay seasons in New York. But Artemi Panarin just seems to crave the spotlight crave the attention, and is more than willing to put the team on his back whenever necessary. Now, like Kevin alluded to way before in this podcast about how Rick Nash was brought in to be this guy and how Mark Gabrick was brought in to be this guy and how Scott Gomez and Chris Drury were brought in as well to be like to, to kind of hold the, hold the team up together, and it just never seemed to work out. It never seemed to really be that kind of player that the Rangers won. Gabrick fizzled out a little bit here. Rick Nash turned, you know, he wasn't the guy we hoped for because he didn't score all the goals. He turned into more of an effective two-way player while he was here. Um, Gomez and and Drury did not work out the way they envisioned. Um, But point being, this is a player now who, who... maybe besides Yarmir Yager, you could consider having the best first season in New York in terms of a free agent or a trade. Um, 95 points in 70 games, arguably would have had 100 if the season was going to continue. I mean, he most likely would have finished somewhere on 105, 110 points. Would have got close Yeah, Definitely. super close to Yager's 123 that he put up. And, I mean, when you just factor in all of these things, like ma- making Ryan Strom look great, uh, elevating Jesper Foss's game, uh, bringing the Rangers' power play to being one of the worst in the league to one of the most fun and exciting to watch at points. I mean, there is no denying that his first season in New York was better than anybody could have ever imagined. And this team will go as far in the playoffs as Artemi Panarin can bring them. Well said. I definitely agree with that. And, and you know, it's we were we were basically salivating when we all kind of found we were basically learning that Panarin was going to be a free agent and 
the day he essentially announced that he wanted to play for a big market it just seemed as if he wanted to play in new york and then there were reports coming out that he said that he wants to play in new york so that got us fired up originally and got us looking at all the highlights but you know when you finally see him in action it's such a treat i mean you are absolutely right, Russell, when you mention, you know, he's living up to the expectations of a, of a player coming to New York. You know, I've seen Nash play, you know, I'm live. I've seen, you know, Drury, Gomez live. You know, you see all these players play live. And yes, they're very talented, very good players. You know, Rick Nash gets a bad rap. I know uh, Ant doesn't really like him that much. <laughs> but um, no, I'm just joking. But um. You know, Rick Nash gets a bad, uh, you know, Rick Nash gets a bad rap, but he didn't really produce as much as we wanted him to. He wasn't the Columbus Nash, you know, uh, but Panarin is the Panarin that we saw in Chicago. Panarin is the Panarin that we saw in Columbus. And he actually might be better, truth be told, now that he's playing with a very dynamic center in, uh, you know, uh, Mika Zibanejad. Now, that's not to say that he wasn't good with Chicago and Patrick Kane, because obviously we know Patrick Kane is a superstar, but he was still trying to find his footing in the NHL, and he still played well. So now that Panarin's a little bit more of a quote-unquote grizzled veteran, he just seems like he's taking over, and that's something you want to see in your players, and it will definitely elevate this team, you know, for years to come. Kevin, your thoughts? I will say this. Even though technically he played with the Rangers prior to his first full season, Yarmir Yager did get 123 points. He was extremely dynamic for 33 years old, which yeah. is unprecedented. Yeah, which is fantastic. He's getting 123 points when, and then he, you know, we all know the story. He plays until he's 45, and he keeps playing. He's never going to stop playing. He's going to play. He's going to die on the ice <laughs> at the age of 97, somehow scoring a goal for his fifth goal of the game. So, that being said, Panarin just looks like he wants to be here. He loves being here. And, and like not that I didn't, not that Rick Nash and Marion Gabrick didn't love being here, but you could see that he's embracing the city more. You could see that he loves going out. You could like, obviously social media is a little more you know, in, infused with the NHL now than it was those years prior. But you know, Yager lit up the garden. Panarin lights up the garden. He's just younger. He's more. He's it, he couldn't technically be a more dynamic player. It's just you know. I just think Panarin is going to just, I don't know. It's just, we ha I, I haven't been this excited for a player since, you know? Yeah. And yeah. And I, I was very, like, if you knew, if you knew me well, I was extremely excited for Rick Nash. Rick Nash was one of my favorite players when he was playing on Columbus, you know, outside of the Rangers. And I was extremely excited. We got Rick Nash. I thought we were going to get him during the deadline. We didn't, but we got him now. And I think he actually, I don't think he signed on my birthday. But maybe he did. I don't remember. I was just very happy. It felt like my birthday. So, <laughs> and it was just, it was it didn't live up to my expectations. And I thought it was going to, that's why I was a little, like, nervous about Panarin. Oh, he just wants to get the money. He's just trying to, like, you know, get the best deal. He wants to play in a big city, so he chose New York. And he's not going to put up as nearly as many points as we were expecting to. Like Russell alluded to, he could have hit 100, maybe even more. At the se that's how, that's what his pace was. Yeah. And I just, yeah, I, I'm absolutely. just, I'm actually, I'm very upset just to, just because Panarin didn't get the chance to finish his first full season as a Ranger. But, you know, I'm, 
it could be worse. We could have no playoff hockey. That we could I think the perfect Panarin playoff hockey. I think the perfect quote to describe how our Tommy Panarin feels about himself is uh, when Panarin originally got traded from Chicago to Columbus. Um, someone asked him a question, I believe, from the press corps saying, essentially, like, you know, you did all that stuff next to Patrick Kane. You know, what are you going to do in Columbus? And he was like, well, look what Patrick Kane did with me. Ah. And I think that is the perfect thing and the perfect Swagger. way to describe who our Tommy Panarin is and the confidence and the, the you know, wh- wh- how he feels about the way he plays and the way he carries himself. That See, that is the mark of a true leader. And... You need players like that when it comes to rebuilding. By the way, Kevin, Rick Nash was traded to the Rangers in July of 2012. So it might have been around your birthday. Yes. Yeah, I think it was around my birthday. It wasn't a signing. Sorry. So he was was traded. Obviously, we know the parameters of the deal. But yes, Artemi Panarin will be... Don't be surprised if you see him with an A within the next two years. Maybe Don't even be surprised if we see Mika Zibanejad with the C. With the C. Ultimately, that's what we want. So. I swear to God, if Mika Zibanejad isn't made captain, riots will ensue. <laughs> oh, man. Mainly just me with the sign. Yeah, just, Mika just Kevin upset picketing outside of Madison <laughs> Square Garden. <laughs> you're going to have a hat, and people are going to think you're homeless. So I mean... <laughs> All right. Well, with that, that, that's how I get in. That's how I trick him. <laughs> he gets to see me every day walking in, and then I go and I just grab JG by the and collar and be like, "You gotta make him captain." And then they file <laughs> a restraining order. All right, ladies and gentlemen, oh, that is the conclusion of our podcast today. So we seems like we definitely had a lot in our minds, and obviously these two seem to always have something to say, and that's a always. good thing because that's what you need in this business. So, again, thank you, everybody. Thanks for laying it out yeah. there. <laughs> thank you, everybody, yeah. for listening. Thanks, Please Farmer Brown. Please be sure. Thank you, yes. Please be sure to follow us on Twitter. You can follow Forever Blue Shirts at Forever Blue Shirts. You can follow Russell Hartman at Russell Hartman 1 because apparently Russell Hartman 0 and Russell Hartman oh, 2 God. were Are taking make this damn <laughs> joke every time and hey, you can follow hey, when when you host you can make your joke. you can no, make your I'm joke. not going to give any Twitter handles out you can follow myself <laughs> at JL Shapiro 8 and you can follow Kevin at Space Earthbender because he doesn't want to e in the middle yeah one e in the middle because he doesn't want to be regular like the rest of us also please stay tuned to more offerings from foreverblueshirts.com prospect reports I think uh, stat boy Steven our compadre has a couple of more coming so stay tuned for that and that seems to be it for today so until next week our 100th episode Kevin, you take us out. Let's go, Rangers. You've been listening to 4B Radio, powered by ForeverBlueShirts.com.
everyone, this is Stan Wangler from Just Thinking. Stop on by this week and listen to some of the great podcasts we have lined up for you. Two in particular are really good shows. One is called Are We Driving Ourselves Insane? Well, are we? And the next one is called Have You Been Having a Bad Day? Did You Have a Bad Day? Well, if you did, this is the show for you. And I bet you, when you get done listening, you'll feel a lot better. So join us. The Raiders have moved to Las Vegas, but Raider Nation is worldwide. Hi, Silver and Black Maniacs. I'm Scott Goldbranson, host of Silver and Black Today, the first and only all-Raiders show from the capital of Raider Nation, Las Vegas, Nevada. A-list guests like players and coaches and the best Raiders talk in the land. Subscribe and listen today if you just want to win, baby. Business with personality. That's the idea that launched London's business newspaper, City AM, 15 years ago. And it's the same idea that inspired our new daily podcast, The City View, where you'll find me, City AM editor Christian May, interviewing the most well-known, influential and colourful figures from business, politics and finance. The City View from City AM, with a new episode every morning. It's the perfect start to your working day.